It's time for Supply Chain Now Radio, broadcasting live from the supply chain capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia. Supply Chain Now Radio spotlights the best in all things supply chain. The people, the technologies, the best practices, and the critical issues of the day. And now, here are your hosts. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton here with you live on Supply Chain Now Radio. Welcome back to the show. Uh, We are coming to you today from Vector Global Logistics, a company that's providing world-class logistics services, all while deeply investing into the communities that they serve. Based right here in Atlanta, but with an international reach, this company is on the move. You can learn more at VectorGL.com. Today's show is the latest installment of a series here on Supply Chain Radio, one that we've been calling the Vetlanta Voice Podcast Series. On this show, we focus on our fellow veterans uh, from a supply chain perspective, of course, but it's all about serving this incredible and very valuable community. Quick programming note, like all of our series on Supply Chain Radio, you can find our replays on a variety of channels, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever else you find your podcast. As always, we'd love to have you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Supply Chain Radio is also brought to you by a variety of sponsors, including the Effective Syndicate, Talent Stream, Barrison, and Apex Atlanta, and several other leading organizations. Be sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our valuable sponsors. Okay, so let's welcome in my co-host here today. For starters, we have Greg White, regular co-host at Supply Chain Radio, serial supply chain tech entrepreneur and trusted advisor. Greg, how you doing? I'm good. I don't know why I laugh when you say that. <laughs> Me neither. We'll figure it out next show, though. Um, great to have you back in the yeah, studio. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here. And Lloyd Knight, Director of International Air Freight LNG at UPS Global Forwarding and, of course, co-founder and current president of Vetland. Lloyd, how you doing? Yeah, great. It's hard to believe that summer is over, and this is already our fourth Vetlanta Voice podcast. Wow. It, that is hard to believe because it's... Um, you know, I think when you're when you're having fun and when you're really engaged in the content you're creating, right, and you feel like you, we're, we're helping to um, put a spotlight on some of these things, time flies. It does. It really does. But you know what? On a, on a side note, on a much more lighter note, I'll be happy when we move out of the, the summer temperatures here in Hotlanta, right? It is hot. <laughs> yes, it is. All right, but football season's here, Braves baseball playoff season's here, so the temp- cooler temperatures are around the corner. All right, so today, Lloyd, we've got two very special guests joining us. I'm um, really looking forward to um, you know gathering some of their insights and their stories. Stephen Smitley, U.S. Marine Corps veteran, lead singer for Disciples of Danger, and content creator at Twitch. Stephen, how you doing? How you doing? We're doing fantastic. I uh, really enjoyed the warm-up conversation with, with both yes. you and Dan, and really looking forward to uh, you know learning more about you and, and your background here. Uh. Yeah, thank you. And we'll dive into that in just a second. Uh, and Dan Sawyer, uh, U.S. Army veteran and managing director of the Atlanta chapter of the PTSD Foundation of America. Dan, how you doing? Good morning. I'm doing wonderful. Glad to be here. We are, too. We're, we're glad to have both you and Stephen. And we've got a really neat conversation teed up. Um, I think one that is going to um, uh, enlighten a lot of folks uh, and around around a, what, unfortunately, the acronym has become a cliché. But there's so much behind it. So I'm really looking, appreciate y'all taking time out of y'all's busy schedules to share more. Uh, and Lloyd, um, so today we are going to focus on post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Uh, going to hear from two military veterans that battled PTSD. But uh, you know, they, they, they have come out of that battle 
intent on serving the community and helping others, right? Um, educating their communities. And, and, and at the end of the day, raising awareness for what it is and what it isn't and, and, and how folks can help and, 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 and lift up those folks in, our, in, in all of our collective networks to help them you know, win against this, this condition as well. So looking forward to learning more. But before we dive into this, uh, Lloyd, can you set the stage more on today's topic before we, we learn more from Dan and Stephen? Yeah, thanks, Scott. Hey, uh, we want to use future episodes of this podcast to go deeper into post-traumatic stress disorder and bring in clinicians and physicians. However, for today's show, we've decided not to get too technical. We decided really to tell some life stories. Mm. I've chosen two amazing veterans who will tell their stories. They've battled PTSD and what they're doing now to help others. To set the stage, I'd like to provide some info and facts on PTSD. PTSD is a psychiatric disorder that can occur in people who have experienced or witnessed a traumatic event. PTSD has been known by many names in the past, such as shell shock during the years of World War I mm-hmm. and combat fatigue after World War II. But PTSD does not hap- uh, just not happen in combat veterans. It can occur in all people, in people of any ethnicity, nationality, or culture at any age. PTSD affects approximately 3.5% of all adults in the United States, and an estimated 11 people will be diagnosed with PTSD, 11% will be diagnosed with PTSD in their lifetime. Interesting enough, women are twice as likely as men to have PTSD. PTSD causes painful symptoms such as flashbacks, avoidance, isolation, hyperarousal reactions including anger outbursts, tensions and hyper vigilance it's, it's kind of like an average day working for ups mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> these emotional and behavioral changes can have devastating effects on someone's interpersonal life but also their family and work life as well if left untreated ptsd can spiral into other problems such as panic disorder substance abuse depression and suicidal feelings and by the way i'm, I'm just kidding about the the UPS <laughs> well so uh kidding aside so so here at splotch now radio of course we the content we provide it in some way some shows are directly like core relevant whether it's demand planning or or lean or efficiencies or what have you transportation freight directly tied back to supply chain now radio and others you know we're about um, the human interest stories, and of course, about our veteran community. But this is where I think, and Greg, I'd love for you to weigh in here yeah. too. Uh, before I've got another question for Lloyd, but this is where it ties back. Um, talent is front and center of every supply chain leader we have brought on this show. Uh, I think we just published episode one sixty six this morning. Talent is so important, and I think if we can, if this show, and in one sm- small way, can help folks better understand or dispel some of the um, the inaccuracies related to PTSD because we've heard that that acronym so often, and I think everyone's kind of assumed it means certain things. I think if our, if the hiring managers and the organizational leaders and, and all these folks are serious about not only bringing on the best talent but also hiring veterans, if, they, if we can help them understand PTSD a little better, we have fulfilled our mission here today, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not – it's maybe more severe, and the reasons for it are um, – more extreme, but it's not that much different than any other sort of mental challenge, right? I mean, or emotional challenge, if you want to call it that. And I think if if an 
if a company is equipped to deal with that in in their employee environment, they can be equipped to deal with PTSD. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't want to minimize it, but mm. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's another thing. Right. It, it's a terrible thing. And uh, by the way, I, I thank all of you for sacrificing and and living through this experience as a civilian. I really, really appreciate it. Um, you know, and and I think that's. Uh, you know, but I but I think that it it's something that it can be worked through. Mm. We have really good research mm. on how to work through it, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. And and you know, if an if an employer commits to it, it's just like any any other affliction that they deal with mm. in their customer or in mm. their uh, employee base. So speaking of dispelling some of the assumptions that are out there, Lloyd, and uh, you know, I think when a lot of folks think of PTSD, they think immediately combat operations, right? But that isn't necessarily the only case. Talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. PTSD can be triggered by a wide range of trauma. One of the most common is car accidents. They, uh, you know, witness anything traumatic, such as death in a family or a natural disaster. Unfortunately, another leading cause of PTSD in the military is sexual trauma. There is a, um, uh, it can be caused by sexual trauma, can be sexual harassment or sexual assault. The, um, and military sexual trauma happens to both men and women, which is something a lot of people don't realize, and occurs at any time of military service. It can occur in peacetime, training, and war. The causes of PTSD are far-ranging, and you will hear very two different stories today on, on PTSD uh, from our guest. Yep. So, uh, Dan, I want to start with you here. So, you know, one of the most popular uh, a lot of the feedback we get uh, from our audience is they're so intrigued with the transition stories. And, you know, we, we've spent a lot of our time trying to figure out how to help veterans. You know, as a veteran that had my own transition, you know, I, I knew some of the gaps and, and some of the challenges that I experienced. And I wasn't even a combat vet, you know. Um, folks really love hearing these transitional journeys and the stories. So I'd love for you to tell more about your transition. You joined the Army, ended up getting a law degree from the University of Tennessee, go Vols, mm-hmm. and now you're working as a managing director uh, for, talk about an organization, Moving the Needle, the Atlanta chapter of the PTSD Foundation of America. But, but how did you get here? Well, I mean, in that, in that time period between, you know, the Army and getting the law degree and everything, there's a, there's a lot of space in between there and a lot of different things that occurred in, in that long period of time. Um, my, my experience was one of the aftermath of the attacks of September 11th was my senior year of high school. It was, it was go, go, go from the onset in my, my military career, and I joined the infantry um, to be a rifleman, to go over and fight, and... Um, it was deployment after deployment situation that I was into. So the transition phase was one of, you know, spent the entire time I was in the Army overseas, whether in Europe or, or in, in Iraq, um, and come back. And, you know, at the time, really in 2006, 2007, when I'm getting out, you know, there was no, there wasn't a whole lot of set. It was, you, had, you went through two weeks of a transition with, you know, where, you know, someone gave you a once over, a PA, or, you know, some kind of psychiatric professional. And everyone knew if you said anything to them that would raise any flags, it was yeah. going to definitely uh, extend your time yeah. in trying to get out and <laughs> yeah. get back to your life. So I, I you know, I, I did all, I checked all the boxes. I went through that and went back and immediately joined the peers that I had left behind, uh, you know, from high school who were in college a couple years ahead of me at the time. And I, within two months of really coming back from, you know, my, my duty station in Germany, 
was was in college and mm-hmm. uh, and just did that, you know, for the next seven years going through college and law school and kind of silently struggling with my own issues for a while. But yeah, the transition was there was no nonprofits waiting for me at the time. There was no um, there was no military or VA. No one told me here, go here, fill out this form, yeah. do this. There was nothing, absolutely nothing at the time in around 2006 when I got out where people were saying, go here, go there. Mm. Um, so, you know, I didn't even get connected with the VA for any kind of medical care until about maybe six or seven years after getting out. Wow. So we'll probably touch on this with both of you gentlemen. Uh, there is, as we know, with the veteran community, uh, we don't trip over ourselves to go get help with right. something. So can you speak to that? If how did, did you feel? Um, Certainly. Um, yeah. I would say that, you know, the, the, the mind frame that I shared, that I shared with a lot of my, my fellow veterans, I stayed extremely close with the guys that I served with. Um, and our mind frame collectively, to speak on their behalf, if I, you know, take the liberty of doing that, was that, you know, those of us who came back at all and those of us who came back whole physically, you know, with limbs, had no business going around looking for the kind of help that, you know, that was out there. And I think the mistake is that there's that, that some of this, the aid, be it through nonprofits or the government, is some kind of finite resource. Mm. And that, you know, if, if I'm in a line and the guy behind me is missing both his arm and his leg and I get it first, then he's out of luck. Right. Which is not the case, but that's the mentality. So we, we're, we're, no one's in a hurry to, to knock down the doors of the VA and get help. Mm. And no one's in a hurry to really and, – and as an infantryman, I somehow, you know, I, I joined the infantry to be a rifleman. And I thought it was better than not only all civilians, but every other veteran who wasn't an infantryman. <laughs> and just like every paratrooper thinks they're better than everybody who's not. So I had right. that thing of like, I'm not going to this different group or wounded war. I'm not going on their things because it's a bunch of, you know, the, the rear, they had the pogues and the, the ramps. And, yeah, like these guys, we're not, we're not, you know, I'm not going to associate with those guys. Us guys, you know, what we do is we hang out and get drunk and do, you know, that kind of stuff. And that was the therapy that existed, you know. Yeah. So, you know, before I start with my questions, the first thing, if you're watching this live or you see the pictures, these two gentlemen have wonderful beards. This <laughs> yeah. is bigger, than, my, this is bigger yeah. than mine. I, I probably would get to that point, but I kind of just like, I'm going to keep it low. <laughs> I love the beards. So, um, Scott, your transition story is a, uh, the, I'm sorry, Dan, is a uh, very unique and a uh, one of the uh, things that we talked about, because, you know, we've done the famous Vetlanta breakfast, yes. is a uh, the time you spend in, in the veterans' courts. Yes. And, and I think a lot of people have no idea there's such oh, a thing as veteran yeah. courts. Can you tell us a little bit about what those are and what you do? So, it, you know, as part of a passion of, you know, the work that we do at the foundation is obviously finding veterans who are struggling, right? Because, you know exactly yeah. what we touched on a second ago is they're not tripping over themselves to get to us. Yeah. So where do you find them when they need help before they're willing to be in a desperate mood where they're asking for it? So typically it's the places where you find people that are struggling. Courts, uh, jails, bars. institutions, jails, <laughs> institutions, and, and bars. Yeah. And um, so what a lot of people don't know is exist. I got my law degree from Tennessee and used to practice law, but you know the, the easy transition there is being comfortable in the courtroom. I always, yeah. you know, that was something I did, and there just happens to be this interesting thing throughout the country called Veterans Treatment Court, which is a program where a veteran who gets either even a felony, felony or misdemeanor, usually the requirement is it being some kind of nonviolent charge, can really uh, get a diversion on any kind of real, you know, long-term effects of that being on their record or any kind of punishment if they jump through these, you know, it's a very intense program that's anywhere from a year to two years of them showing up for, you know, every week. So what we've done is we've placed, you know, one of our coordinators at every, you know, iteration that they have in in the two counties north of the city in Gwinnett County 
and in Hall County to make sure that we're there when these guys, you know, hit a point. What happens, you know, they, they go out and they do something that gets them to either fail your analysis or one of these things. They're drinking or drugging or doing something that gets them in trouble and they're going to get sanctioned and go to jail. It's like, how do we step in and try and prevent that from happening to keep them out of the system, which is a revolving door for a lot of these yeah. guys? Yeah. Okay. Um, so shifting gears over to Stephen. And Stephen, uh, as we've learned already in our, our pre-show homework and then in the, in the pre-show warm-up conversation, you've got a really interesting transition story both of y'all do but uh steven yours might be a little more diverse so <laughs> joined the marines at an early age right yes deployed to afghanistan yes came back to the u.s to take a what had to be a um a tough position with mortuary affairs uh so i transitioned so the, i mean so if you want to go into it let me so the, and then i add one more thing one more little wrinkle yes, here so then you ended up going to school after uh, spending time in that in, in the mortuary industry i think that that's a fair word, I hope. Mm-hmm. Ended up going to school to pursue a passion in music, in, in music which we're going to touch on. Well adapted a variety of things, but tell us more about your story. So uh, I joined the Marine Corps in uh, 2006, uh, 2006 uh, did eight years, so I got out in 2014. I was active for four years, uh, 2006 to 2010, uh, stationed in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Hoorah, Marines. <laughs> uh, you know, but anyways, uh, Knew that was I kind of got out. And I got out for like a short time because I did active duty. It's like, you know, I got out as a Lance Corporal, you know, like Terminal Lance, you know, for all you Terminal Lance uh, Marines out there. <laughs> got out and decided, you know what, uh, I miss the Marine Corps within that year. I was like, I want to get back in, but I kind of want to stay a civilian. What would you miss? I miss the brotherhood. Mm-hmm. I, I just, there's it, nothing like it, yeah. you know, and I will, I still miss it every day, you know, I, but to be honest, I just, but I can't go back because mm-hmm. I know what's going to do to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got back in, and then I did four years, you know, you know, we have a contract. We have an eight-year contract. We're four years active and four years IR, you know, inactive already reserved. You're supposed to be, like, in case of time of war, whatever the story is. Right. Did four years, you know, active reserve out here in um, Smyrna, Georgia, uh, with PRP, Personal Retrieval um, Processing. You know, they're based out in Smyrna near Dobbins, but they're, like, a small little base near Recon. And uh, I got out in 2014, and um, during that time, you know, while I was you know, in active reserve, I was going to school for pre-med, but I didn't want to go to school for pre-med anymore because at that time I thought I could handle pre-med wow. because I was being trained to pick up dead people mm-hmm. in the mortuary affairs. They literally, you know, they train you to be desensitized to death. Like wow. the Marine Corps is like, no, 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 like no, no pre-planning, no pre-planning. Just go in there. Just go straight into it. And, you know, mm-hmm. Dan knows about this, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, just go in there, go in front of the lines. And there's no pre-training. You just get in there and desensitize you. Mm-hmm. And that's the sad thing about the military. It's a necessary evil, sadly, but it has to be done. But at what cost? Mm-hmm. So got out, you know, and I went to pre-med and decided, you know, I'm going to go to school. You know, I don't want to do this pre-med stuff anymore. I'm a... I'm doing music all my life. Why am I doing this? So I, I decided to pursue music and uh, living. I moved here in Atlanta in 2014 and went to AIA, which uh, one of my teachers there is actually one of my closest friends. He's and, also there. So. And that AIA is? Uh, Art Institute of Atlanta. Okay. We love our acronyms here. I, yeah. I want to make sure our audience <laughs> follows yeah. it. Finally, not a military one. <laughs> but um, pursuing that and um, – I pretty much uh, used my post-911 GI Bill. I got rid of the regular GI Bill, you know, because, you know, you get the stipend. And I always try to encourage, you know, veterans, if you, you know, do four years active, you know, use that. Use that GI Bill. Like, it's there for you. It's free money. It's free education. 
do something with your life outside, it's there for you. It's, it's a it's a thank you card from the rest of us. It is. It really is. I think, the taxpayer's money going yeah, right back I at think, our I think veterans should think of it that way. They really should. And that's uh, the transition. And uh, I'm here today. It's 2019. I'm still doing what I love, you know, music and, uh, you know, a lot of background. So, Well, Stephen, I, I, uh, we, we had breakfast and, and I got to meet Sensei and, a, uh, and the drummer. <laughs> His hair is crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it's awesome. And a, uh, you know, but but before we had breakfast, you know, just just like what our what our Vetlanta breakfasts are, are, are vetting opportunities. So we vet organizations, and so as part of my research, I went and, and watched some of your videos. <laughs> and a, uh, I was actually, I, I and I've I've worked with a lot of musicians over the last five and a half years, and and sometimes they're good. You know, Doc Todd, if he's out there, he, he's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and sometimes they're not so good. Don't name but, who's not so good. Yeah, I won't. <laughs> so yeah. So, uh, the you guys are actually a. Uh, you guys actually rock. A uh, your videos are really high quality. A uh, I love a uh, enough is enough. Oh, I, sure. I I think that's a, a very cool video. The uh, the uh, I just thought it was cool. It's got a um, some really epic lyrics with with a crazy catching chorus. Can you talk a little bit about the lyrics and then how the video came together? So enough is enough was. Um and long story short, a lot of the music that I write, I write the music myself. I don't really get a lot of help, but in the studio, sometimes we change the lyrics around with you know the band. They're like, hey, can you put this in there? Because it? it still relates to the previous line. A lot of music is uh, written based off of my experience, PTSD and major depressive disorder, and I transition it into a more universal term for everyone to relate. Um, you know, So there's that. So Enough is Enough came up as what the title is, Enough is Enough, like I'm you telling me that this is what I got to do and I, and this is recovery and this is this like this is enough I'm in, I'm tired of it like I want to and it's just kind of like it's kind of like an angry song and it, it's just projecting anger out and that's came up with the song in the studio we recorded it and we did a couple takes and then it was like this is perfect so and I could go I could, I digress I could go on <laughs> laser about this <laughs> I, I, I love the video when everybody's sitting around the table and everybody puts their head down yeah, on the table. That was, that was Dan's idea. He's like, "All right, put your head down, go." And the videographer's like, "Okay, yeah, look good." And I, uh, I can relate to that. So, uh, hey, the um, we're here really to talk a, uh, about PTS stories as well. And the, uh, I had the opportunity to break the bread with both of you and heard your PTS stories, and it moved me both stories. So, starting with Dan, can you tell us a little bit more about your battle with PTSD? Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel, um, you know, in the position that I'm in right now, I'm, I'm uniquely suited um, to work with veteran, other veterans with PTSD because uh, I have been through all of the various treatment centers and places that uh, not only the state of Georgia but beyond the southeast has to offer pretty much or, or at least uh, gone through the intake process at all of them at one point. I, 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 I gave a, a significant portion of my life to trying to get this figured out. Um, when I got out of the out of the army after my my combat deployment, I um I knew something was fundamentally wrong with me, but I was able to put it off for a long time, doing really well in school. Um, but I always knew that there was a time when I got into the professional world that it was going to become a problem and wreak some havoc in my world because there would be periods of time where just like that, avoidance and isolation would be so strong that I couldn't and wouldn't leave the house for periods of time. Barely got out of a room, and my my world became smaller and smaller. It went from being, you know, this area of town to this house to this room to this bed at times. And so obviously that doesn't work when you've got a full-time job and, there's, you know, people don't quite understand. Listen, 
Um, and there's no, you know, listen, I can't get out of, I can't get out of the house today because I am physically, you know, overcome with stress. And the solution that the VA has is, is two things. You know, they can either give you pills yep. or they can give you money, which yep. there is a place for that. But it's also a double edged sword, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you give someone pills that are potentially addictive and you give someone money to go get more other things that are potentially, what you have is a recipe for disaster in the veteran community. Yeah. And that's the picture that it painted for myself. Um, you know, I eventually became dependent on a lot of the sedatives and tranquilizers that the VA was prescribing to address this issue, and then I became completely dependent on them to do anything, so when they stopped, would stop working, I was, you know, completely worthless to the world, and I, you know, I went through this cycle of getting things, getting life together, getting a good job, and then lo- giving everything away every six months because of, you know, anger outbursts would wind up in, in a stay in, the, in a jail for a weekend, and then they would admit me to the VA, and the VA would outsource me to one of the many hospitals in lovely Atlanta, mm-hmm. the behavioral health hospitals. So when I go visit a veteran today who is, you know, sitting in, a, in you know, what we used to call a, a loony bin or a mental institution, which yeah. we have a few of them that people may not know about here in, in, in Atlanta— um, I can say to them, you know, I sat in that chair. I sat in this room wearing those pajamas and the socks, shuffling around, not knowing where my life was going. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's a, there was a lot of, as time went by, there was a lot of nonprofits and a lot of groups that, you know, were saying they were helping veterans and, and getting things done. But when the time came, a lot of them were frightened off. And I, I think that there's a lot of misconception of just how dark and, 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 and desperate situations can get for veterans once they go off the rails and with drug addiction alcoholism uh criminal and antisocial behaviors uh dealing with this gets dark so um what it was for me was you know some another veteran found me in the in the va waiting room trying to get into yet another i'm, I'm a firm believer that residential residential treatment is is the only way to go for someone with this you got to take them off the streets and get meaning them. living there, Li- right, right you know a long-term residential treatment meaning living there and so i had been through a couple short-term ones that they offer through the va here in atlanta which they have a wonderful one at fort mcpherson and, and they have a few others but they're very short you know matter of a few weeks and um a veteran handed me the card for the foundation the ptsd foundation of americans said hey they have a treatment center in six months and they'll they'll fly you out to the, the treat actual treatment centers in houston They'll fly you out there, and uh, that was the beginning of it for me. I needed something long-term, but for years it was just this cycle of, you know, not knowing how or where or even not knowing, you know, I couldn't explain to someone what was wrong with me because I had no idea what was wrong with me. Like, how could I begin to explain to you why I can't get out of the house for three or four days in a row when I can't explain that to myself? And that's what it, that's what it turned into, and that's what it was. And I see, you know, a lot of the guys I deploy with dealing with this same you know, that that same thing, the isolationism, the anger, and, you know, which always leads to nine out of ten of them to some kind of coping mechanism, which whether it be alcohol, drugs, or some kind of antisocial or dangerous behavior, thrill-seeking behavior, and it's just, it's, you know, it was that way for me, and so it makes me uh, a lot easier for me to address it now in my in my work. Wow. Wow. Yeah, pretty powerful. And, and Stephen, can you, can you share your story? Uh, so... I guess in, in 08, I like to go, like, where it all started. Like, uh, I was actually married in the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, they always say, don't get married, and <laughs> I'm the idiot that did. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I digress on that. Um, at the time, I was married when I deployed, and I went to Afghanistan in 08. I was uh, attached to 24th Mew, BOT-16, Battalion Landing Team, 1st Battalion 6 Marines. Um and I just kind of uh, was attached to a grunt unit, and I wasn't a grunt. I was a basic electrician, generator operator, you know, 
and I got attached to a grunt unit. They stole me. I was supposed to be attached to another unit. During that time, uh, being attached to a grunt unit, I basically was a grunt for the whole entire eight months. You know, I was like, wow, I'd never even joined infantry, but now I'm being trained, like doing infantry stuff. Mm. But the thing is, is where a lot of my PTSD started overseas. Like it was, I was put on antidepressants and, um, in Afghanistan. And a lot of it had to do with when you go out in Afghanistan, cause we were the first wave in a long time, many years. Like we were literally the first Marines that went out there. I, I was, there was only five of us Marines and Fob Dwyer. And I was one of those five Marines that built up Fob Dwyer. Um, when there was the Brits there, it was like four Brits, uh, Prince, I think it was Prince Charles that served in, in the military or who was it? one of the princes. Uh, yeah. He was over there and he swapped out and we came over there. And then where I'm going with this is that it, it becomes a different PTSD when it's isolation and where isolation is part of a lot of Marines or veterans or any disabled veterans that have PTSD and the common symptom was isolation. And I think a lot of the isolation came out when you're alone out there and you have no way to call home and you're, you don't get packages immediately like we're used to at home and you don't get uh, a shower for 45 days and you're literally shower. The only shower you do is a water bottle shower and that's literally our only shower and that's not really a shower. You like you grab a water bottle and you kind of wipe yourself with, you know, baby wipes and that doesn't feel right. Um, but that's when it starts adding because those little small little details start adding to your PTSD and you start accumulating things and you're in the middle of a desert and then you got bombs going off and you got things going off like what's in they launched the mortars out of nowhere and next thing you know you're like are we are we gonna go fight because you're like you're amped up you're overseas you're you're out there because you you want to fight and no one wants to talk about that but the truth is we want to fight and I'm over there, you know, doing these, you know, doing some patrols behind the wire. And most people, you know, that serve know what behind the wire means. And I start accumulating these, these things of isolation being rejected. And, and I was not with my unit because that's one thing I n- never knew what was going to affect you is that if you're not attached to the people you know and you go out there alone, it's the worst feeling in the world because you don't know anyone. Yeah, you're all serving. But it's not, it's not, it's the difference is you didn't that you come ser- up together. You didn't come right. up together. So right. I went out there, I volunteered because, you know, the gunnery sergeant I was with, I was on, you know, Land Scorpion at the time, it was 2008, you know, early 2008. I literally volunteered and I went to Afghanistan in two, like two weeks. And I basically, you know, gunny pulled me, hey, would you like to go to Afghanistan? They need an electrician for this unit. I was like, sure. And I was gone in two weeks. That's how fast it is. And I was over there in, for eight months and then isolation, you know, dealing with the drama at home and not getting packages. So I'm just like, I'm accumulating PTSD here. And I didn't even know what it was, you know, a psychiatrist out there gave me pills and I started taking meds out there and I started losing my mind. And at that point I almost killed myself over there. Mm. Um, they, they now kept my rifle and then, you know, they were going to take it, but you know, the psych says, no, he needs to be able to, you know, protect himself. So, you know, just have a close watch on me. And I was one of those guys that was really like losing my mind. And, it de- never stopped. And then when it time, uh, Dan, I want to touch up what Dan said earlier. is like when you, we do the check marks to leave deployment. Yep. Because if you don't do the check marks of like that you're okay, you will stay longer. That was the rumor. I don't know if it was confirmed true. So it, it, I, I just stayed away from that. So real quick, so. Stephen. So, uh, so that for any civilian listeners we have, what you're referring to is when you're trying, you're coming off deployment, you're coming back to the States, you've got a checklist, you've got to get everything checked off so mm-hmm. you can get back to quote unquote normal life. While you're on overseas at that war zone, like ever uh, in, like, in Kandahar. So Kandahar is like the main, the main area. So, so yeah, that, what it's uh, it really is a series of questions. 
So yeah. are, are you feeling stressed? Do you have any health care issues? Do you have any me- <laughs> Those questions you better answer right yeah. or you ain't coming back. Exactly. So, yeah, right. and it could well, even going back uh, by way of the hospital. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah mm-hmm. even when a uh, when you get back, you know, you go through another checklist and they okay, you answer this and if you're cleared you can go on leave, which is vacation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you're not, we got to, you know, we got to start making a uh, appointments for you next week at the hospital. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of these folks have been gone six months nine months 12 months mm-hmm. you know they're ready for a vacation and and, and just as they should be yeah, yeah. and and well hey everything's great i feel great mm. Mm. yeah um all right so now we're gonna be so, so yeah so one of the things that you know i i really i hear your stories and i see how you're both functioning today and giving back to the community and education was really important um what advice – we'll start with Dan first. Can you give to somebody who's maybe struggling like you were? You know, things that I would have done differently, um, I would have gotten over that, that part of my head that, uh, you know, thought – I had a huge chip on my shoulder because, one, I thought that – I think I touched on this earlier – that the civilian popula- population certainly couldn't understand what I've gone through. And then also I, I doubled down on that and said – and the other rest of the veteran population couldn't understand because 90% of them weren't doing the kind of you know, combat operations that I was doing. Yeah. So yeah. I isolated myself also from the veteran community. Um, what I would have done is gotten really involved. And I see now with some of the guys that go through our program with the a Student Veterans Association um, up there at UNG, which is closer to the area, or, or uh, Gwinnett Tech. The, all yeah. these colleges have these wonderful student veterans associations mm-hmm. and organizations that I feel I really missed out on because of this, you know, sense of uniqueness. Um, and uh, I would I would say getting involved is the biggest thing. We do we do these warrior groups that are our thing, but the American Legion, the VFW, they they have a lot of older veterans that are looking to try and get that next generation of guys to step up to the plate and be involved in those kind of groups. They have mm. some beautiful properties. They've got some nice discretionary budgets to spend on some cool things and fun stuff. I would say get involved with your local veterans groups that already exist, or if you don't find one that you suits you, try and start one. Um, because we didn't have warrior groups out here, you know, in my area when we did, and I've created one that's really great up in Gainesville area. And you know, they they it's just that that rebuilds that tribal community sense mm-hmm. that that was lost, you know, when we left the military. That's super important. That Stephen spoke to that we all can relate to. Yeah, and yeah. and and there's some non-traditional ones that have popped up the last couple of years too. And I, I I've definitely got to mention them. So Team Red, White, and Blue mm-hmm. is a uh, one of the things they've done is they've started you know physical fitness chapters all over the country. Nice. We've got Team Rubicon. So if you don't know about Rubicon, they they essentially stand by to deploy in natural disasters. And, and and help out folks in Atlanta. We got Vetlanta, yes. which is a small organization that that we started. It, it really, to have a network. Uh, there's uh, another one that is coming up is MVP. So th- there are a lot of resources out there to really bring back your tribe, that fellowship. If I could add on that, and I will say this, this is something that I want to make sure people kind of see. Uh, a lot of those organizations are wonderful, and those, that's exactly what I'm talking about, getting involved in organizations just like that. But I think before we get to that step, what my passion is, we got to get the guys, try and help, the community got to try and help the guys get away from the negative coping behaviors mm-hmm. because they're never, th- th- those, are, those are usually groups of high-functioning veterans, typically. And, uh, you know, what, what we need to do is the guys, you know, the, the huge problem we have with alcoholism, and drug addiction is a big one in, in, in the veteran community. How and, do you think um, you get people over that line? I mean, it, it, I mean, if there's somebody out there listening that you hope is standing by that line, I mean, 
can either one of you kind of relate? Yeah, I think uh, was there a critical moment or you know, un- unfortunately for myself, the circumstances of life had to really smack me in the face, and unfortunately, that's some of the only thing that I, I tell other guys when we're dealing with you know deaths or people that are struggling that we think might pass away from from that behavior. You know, other veterans, we say, you know, sometimes I'd say, look, you know, uh, all we can do is be for that, be there for them in that moment, that small moment of window where they say, hey, I'd like help. And you have to be there to catch them because that window may close very quickly. I think that I think that um, for me, what helped me is like they reach out to those because they're afraid to reach out. And I think what you read, the most common thing is like, uh, you know, thank you for service. And I really want, you know, reach out. That's like, you know, call someone. I think it actually has to be an action. Like, someone has to physically do, see it and say something to them. Like, I know it's kind of pressuring, but, like, they, some people say that's not the right thing to do. That's what it was for me. Like, you have to poke at the bear a little bit because eventually the bear is going to bite. And, and or whatever, I guess that's the analogy. But for me, my friend had to, you know, pull it out of me and, like, dude, something's wrong with you. Like, no, it's not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And then someone has to eventually, like, there is. Smack you awake a little like, bit. Like, yo, like, if someone truly cares – they will they will see the symptoms they they'll there is there's signs yeah. there is there is sig- there's could be very subtle ones and significant ones so you have to pay attention to them yeah so i, I know we want to ask about um both the va and, and the non government resources but uh you know you, we this is the 800 pound gorilla or elephant in the room <laughs> and and that is the, the numbers we're seeing when it comes to folks that are taking their lives and I can't. I think anyone that sits back and listens word for word of this conversation, it, it starts to connect more dots. You know, we and and Lloyd, you know, suicide awareness. Is, it, we touch on that. It seems like every single Vetlanta summit, a lot of the conversations. But what I gather from here, and what's going to linger with me, is that um, we've got all these folks that are coming back from fifteen years, sixteen years at war, whatever it's been. They have a lot of these experiences that are that are clearly deeply impactful, and you talk about negative uh, coping behaviors, and, and and the worst one at the top of the list is just to end it. Yeah, and yeah. we've got to get our hands around. I don't. I mean, you know, clearly we're not. I'm not, don't bring this up to solve it, but it just it feels like that folks are just choosing not to get the help that clearly they can get, and then they can get back on their feet, and then just like y'all both are doing. You're giving back. We have the mentality to, in the military, is like you're fine, act, be a man, or you know, be a mm-hmm. be a strong woman. In the military, you have that military mindset, like no, you're fine. Like you, you, it's like you don't want to come out because you don't want to seem weak, mm. and that's like the biggest fear is that you seem weak if you come out and say yeah. Well, issues. you guys are programmed from boot yeah. to not seem weak. You're, I mean, you're basically programmed yeah. not to feel like you talked about. Yeah, right. I mean, the, the, the whole point. I don't know much. But I know that the point of boot camp is to break you down, and to build you into camp. a unit, yep. right? To break down the individuality, to build you into a unit. That The Romans did to that. To get rid of the so, civilian mindset, right? that, you know, that mindset, that, that child, and build you into a, mach- a, a war machine, an, well, an, an obeying machine. And that's why you crave the brotherhood so much, yeah. right? I, I, is, you couldn't have survived sure. without it over there. Yeah. Mm. Right? And I think that that brotherhood is, the, is kind of, you know— a key to what not I don't want us to use the word solution, but a key to what something that might, you know, touch on that or be an important resource. Someone once told me, you know, doing this job on a local level, being a group, you know, trying to address the issue of veteran suicide. Um, it's sometimes it's just those little things. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you can be there to address those little things, the guys 
uh, tires go flat, needs a new set of tires, can't get to his job, uh, you know, washing machine stops working, and they got three kids at home. Mm. Where can you connect the dots to find mm. the community resources to pull together and say, hey, we got a veteran who needs a little help today, you know, and that's being a part of it because it's sometimes it's those little things that can send someone over the edge. Completely agree, and 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 so to kind of circle back. In my mind, as a veteran that cares, a veteran that is engaged, a veteran that really wants to help, like so many of us want to do, I didn't have the combat. I wasn't combat deployed. I didn't have a lot of the experiences y'all both had. Plus, I was in Air Force, and we, we insert Air Force joke there. Air Force, <laughs> yeah. But the 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 thing for me as someone that has been close to the the talent industry and the hiring manager side is I've always kind of looked at the the suicide challenges a lot of folks get back and they get underemployed right they don't get a job commiserate with the responsibility that they had in the military when they're leading men and women and and multi-million dollars sometimes billion dollars worth of resources and and marshalling all of that and they get back here and they can't find or they aren't given a chance at a similar job with similar Mm -hmm. responsibility you know the right pay and all that stuff so in my mind, at least for the last three or four years, I've really put most a lot of my time and attention on that side of what I thought was driving these suicide numbers. However, you know, as much as I've heard about PTSD and uncovered and, and sought to learn, hearing it firsthand, looking at y'all guys in the eyes and hearing the the, 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 the experience itself changes everything. I mean, it, 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 it makes this this mess that we're seeing a lot, unfortunately, makes a lot more sense. So um, I admire what you're doing. I, I know, Lloyd, we want to talk about, um, and we're not, we love, on, you got to love on the VA. And, and, and mm-hmm. there's lots of stories out there, uh, long, you know, stories from months ago and years ago and stories, unfortunately, just in the last few weeks here in Atlanta. But there's a lot more people that are part of the VA that want to help and want to solve things than, than, than the other. Um, I think the dam is broke. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I think that the the exposure of the inadequacy of the VA, I can say that I'm a civilian. They aren't going to ever treat me. Uh, um, I think that the exposure of that inadequacy and my my grandmother worked for the VA and, you know, lots of relatives came back from war areas. So I've, I've been there. Right. Mm. Um, I think that um, that has created an inertia forward mm. in improving the VA that will be difficult to mm. cease. Well, he, yeah, I, I hope so. I, and, and I certainly have seen a, some improvements, and I've seen them also step back. Well, it's a, re- but, it's a government entity, yeah, right? They, well, so, they're so, going to regress. So veteran suicide, veteran mental challenges, veteran transitions, it's one thing we got to realize uh, as citizens of this country, one entity can't solve this. Yeah. So it, well, so you you got to lean on Stephen. What I, I what I love about your story is academia was a big part of your recovery. Mm-hmm. You found the sensei, yeah, and, and that really helped you out. The uh, you know there's definitely industry needs to step mm-hmm. up. You know mm-hmm. whether it's small business or the Fortune five hundred companies, we've seen uh, uh, really nonprofits get started up and nonprofits do great things. Yeah. We, we've seen uh, local, state, and, and federal government a uh, 
step up. We've seen individuals. The uh, we got a great individual here who's a, uh, called Arthur Blank, mm. uh, one of the founders of Home Depot, who's, Amen. who's writing some major checks to address this issue. There's no lip service leadership. With Absolutely that man. not. <laughs> the, uh, one of the most genuine people you'd meet as well, mm. yeah. and a uh, you know Bernie Marcus as mm. well here in Atlanta. They, they, they want to solve some things, so it's got to be a collaborative effort. Here's some good news. Who, raise your hand if you need some good news. We all need some good news, right? Yeah. So there is, to Lloyd's point, there's a ton of resources that are outside the government. And, and both yep. of y'all touched on those. But I want to give you another chance to, to offer up, you know, as we're um, providing, again, providing not only to the veterans that may be listening, maybe, or but, but equally as important, the folks that care about the veteran community that are in positions of um, whether they're HR leaders or, or you know, manufacturing manager, you know, they got a team. Right, and so on the on that team, they could be, have some veterans that are maybe experiencing some of the things. So, if we we're g- going to equip them with a short list of additional resources that y'all might would suggest, what else would you add, especially outside the government? Man, uh, are any tips that you guys got too? I mean, not just yeah. not just mm-hmm. certainly. I think that there's there's another. I speak, you know, uh, selfishly, uh, you know, from the, the 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 foundation that saved my life and the one that I now work for, the PTSD Foundation of America, which. We operate a residential treatment facility and do groups locally here in Atlanta and work with treatment court. And, you know, those are for more of the, the hard cases, the, the, the guys that are really at the time where they really need some deep Rock interventions. Bottom. Yeah, we're, we're, I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're approaching that level, a lot of the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I would say, honestly, there are existing ones. The, you, know, the, you know, people come all the time, like, looking for the connections with dealing with the VA. I always tell people there's this great entity in the state of georgia called the georgia department of veteran services mm. which people don't even know that that's not affiliated with the va mm. and their job is to really advocate for you to the va so you got a state agency that is being that has is receiving state funds to do a job and in my personal experience they did a wonderful job yeah, good. with my stuff so th- little things like that uh, getting involved with groups nonprofits, uh you know the american legions the vfws they're all still there doing some pretty good things in the community and uh yeah and your group uh, Dan, PTSDUSA.org. Is that how yes. folks can learn more? Yes, please uh, look us up, PTSDUSA.org. We've got all our sep- def- various chapters across the United States, and we've got our Facebook page uh, for each individual chapter and for the foundation and for our, our treatment center, which is called Camp Hope. Okay, love that. And shifting gears over to Stephen. Stephen, we want to talk about uh, this awesome concert you've got coming up, but w- what else would you suggest before we talk about that? Uh, I suggest, like, reaching out. The, the very first step is first reach out to yourself. Like, you're not weak. N- now, this is for anyone that's listening, that's serving, that's not even if you're not a veteran and you have PTSD, but for the veterans as well. You got to remind yourself that seeking help does not make you weak. Mm. It does not mean that, y- that you are a bad person. It does not mean that you have no one loves you or no one cares and that you think that no one cares if you speak to someone. Like, someone truly, genuinely cares. Mm. And there's millions of us out there that have these symptoms. And some of us have to take a step forward. And the only part of healing is acknowledging mm. that you have an issue. Mm. And there is there are people that care. There's resources that can help. Yep. There is a huge light in the tunnel. Um, and you can bounce back. Oh, I'm a prime at, example. At your, <laughs> yeah. Really. I mean, even I at re- absolute bedrock bottom, you can bounce back. And, and 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 then help others in those same situations. That's that's what I, I mean. I admire 
so much of the action-based leadership that, that the veteran community provides, but two incredible examples that were sitting across the table, and it's amazing. Yeah. Well, I think I think what's interesting about it is they've channeled it, right? I'm sp- not, not to talk the about you like you're one. not here. <laughs> I mean, you channel your anger through your music, right? Yes, sir. Musicians are artists. Artists are always tortured, right? It, it is a great way to express and, and eject to yeah. your torture, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's that's a very positive way of doing it. And you have, you know, you've gotten involved in law and and actually helping treat people very directly. So you've channeled that. And, you know, one of the things that I learned at a fairly young age is the best way to learn anything is to teach it. And essentially, that's what you're doing. You're forced to learn any topic better if you have to teach it to somebody else. And you have learned how to deal with it by teaching other people how to deal to deal with it. Right, and and you will continue to do the same. Yeah. Lift people up with that music. There, there's an old I mean, adage. I don't know how you got Lloyd to like your kind of music, <laughs> but I'm telling you, there's some kind of special inspiration there. If what are you talking about, man? I'm Lloyd, cool. Lloyd is not a metalhead. He is not well, it's it, I always say it's not really metal, but it does know, have metal elements. That's for sure. I know. Well, <laughs> there, there's an old saying that they say you can only keep something by giving it away and uh yeah. you know i'm a firm believer of that that's that that comes from you know the principles of recovery you know which yeah. i really got from and i think the same thing that rec- recovery that applies to you know recovery from some kind of substance abuse or something also can can be used a lot in ptsd that kind of 12-step uh recovery approach and and that is once you get through the the steps of healing yourself from a combat trauma then the, the final step is to continuously help. for the rest of your life give that away to help others and, and help someone out, pull yeah. them up there with you. It's incredible. Yeah. You, you guys have come a long way, and, mm. I, and appreciate and that. Yeah, I really the, appreciate what you have done and continue to do. Yeah, me too. So thank you both for your personal stories and your advice. The real tragedy, as we mentioned, and, and really the real shame in our country, is we have over 20 veterans and service members that take their life each and every day. Mm. The sad fact of the matter is from the time we jumped in our cars this morning, met up for the show and a uh, commute to the next event, and there is a next event for all of us, another two to three veterans have killed themselves in that time. Mm. So it's just remarkable. Um, if you are a veteran in need or know a veteran in crisis, please contact the Veteran Crisis Hotline, and that number is 1-800-273-8255. Again, one 800 273 8255 and i'm only going to say it twice because if you say it three or four times you're you're selling something that's probably not legitimate (laughs) (laughs) that's right lloyd (laughs) (laughs) yeah the um so yeah thanks the uh scott yeah i think you're gonna uh, close this out and uh to ask some questions on what these two are up to yeah so uh dan we talked a little about your ptsd foundation atlanta chapter uh, beyond the website ptsdusa.org what are what, any events y'all got coming up uh well yeah we've got so any combat veterans out there uh, particularly north of the city who want to get involved in the uh, in some groups we do we host groups at the vfw in lawrenceville every monday um that's a combat trauma support group we also host a group every single wednesday a very big and and, and involved group of combat veterans that meet at the american legion post seven 
in Gainesville every single Wednesday we're there. They got a good baseball team too. Uh, <laughs> 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 we got all kinds. Um, and so we, you know, th- those are groups about they meet at seven o'clock. You can see those those group uh, outlines at our website. Uh, if there's any veterans that need treatment, we uh, yeah. we obviously can help them get involved with that. But then and then we're uh, we're kind of help we're kind of helping out and being involved in this little concert we got coming up and on the second to raise awareness and be a part of it. And I'd love everyone to come out there and join us for that. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm really excited about the concert to bring Mm -hmm. attention to veteran mental health. And it's really pleased that that land along with the, uh, PTS Foundation of America are collaborating on this show. Stephen, uh, let us know uh, some additional details. Uh, let us know how it came together. And then most importantly, if you're a, uh, in the land area or, or want to come check out a rockin' concert, how people can buy tickets. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so we put this show together called uh, Strength in Numbers. Um, and it's, it's basically a veteran show. And you don't have to be a veteran to go. Like if you know veteran, you can bring a veteran or you can just show up yourself. It's still a musical concert. It, anyone can listen. Is what anyone can listen. It's Except not maybe like my oh, parents. I didn't serve, so I shouldn't go. Like no, 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 no. Come, just, just come. You're gonna love it. Um, but we, we, you know, we partnered up with you know Vetlana, you know PTSD Foundation of America, AFSCP, uh, StackUp.org, and uh, Alchemy Sky, and then we're getting empowered by Aver Media, which is an AV company that's supplying you know the stuff to do you know, you know the video part. Sure. So. This show is on November 2nd, 2019, uh, and ticket sales are on Eventbrite, but, you know, the URL is www.strengthandnumbersatl.com. That is www.strengthandnumbersatl.com. All numerals. So, for those that know, if you purchase a ticket, we don't pocket any money. All ticket purchases are going to donation, orgs that are accepting the donations. Mm. So, there's only a few that are accepting it. So all the ticket sales, T-shirt sales will be going to these orgs, and they're going to be using that money to help raise awareness and to take call, you know, have a call to action to help veterans. And if you're a veteran that goes there, there will be you know people there that are there to support you if you need to talk. And if you don't want to talk, you know, and you want to talk jam. outside, and you just you know, and outside the show at another time, yep. there's there's resources there. I heard Lloyd's opening the show with the country and western team. <laughs> hey, hey, I didn't know, but hey, we, we may we may make that work. So, so a little bit achy, breaky heart. Huh? Yeah. Oh, boy. John can Please join you, the whole, the whole team. Man, that'll that'll reignite PTSD so fast. So I just want to uh, – so com for more information, uh, November 2nd, uh, Saturday, November 2nd, and it's in Jonesburg, Georgia. Uh, at the main stage at Furnace 41. Uh, so great show lined up. Uh, tickets are available. It sounds like all the proceeds are going to a, an outstanding cause, as we mm-hmm. all know that. And appreciate what you are doing there. Four, band, four bands. Four right? bands. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This, is not, B, uh, B, this is not a lightweight concert. Yeah. No. Um, BKS, this Sandoz, Doc Todd yeah. will be performing uh, right before us. Uh, we Doc Todd has a nice size following. He's a combat veteran. Uh, and what's funny about all these bands is that we made it very specific that every band has to have someone that has served. Mm. We made it very specific. You can't just play for a show. Like mm. someone in your band has to be a veteran. You can be an all veteran band, but not everyone is a veteran in the band, but there is someone in the band that is a veteran. Wow, we cool. made it very, a, a requirement to be on the bill. I, so, I've got a, I've got a great doc Todd story. And I'll, I'll, I'll hit it real, <laughs> real, real quick. My wife, Suzanne and I were watching TV one night and they were doing a special of the news on, on doc Todd. And about how he's essentially doing the same thing as you guys, you mm. know, a uh, um, singing songs about a uh, PTSD. And I was just really excited. I was like, man, I got to get this guy out to Atlanta. Mm. 
and uh, yeah, yeah, he's all he's what this organization is about so I, that night i sent him a message on linkedin and, and to introduce myself and and he sent me a message right back and said i've been to the last seven summits <laughs> I, I, I love you guys so was really we're cool. meeting with him friday too yeah, so he's, he's yeah cool. we're meeting with him friday so uh before we we tackle and pay some of the bills here at splotch night radio right cover some of our events Lloyd, where can what's coming up uh, at Atlanta? I think the next summit is tonight. Where can folks learn more? Yeah, tonight the uh, Coca Cola six hundred and fifty uh, people are going to be attending. If you listen to the last podcast, you know that this focus today is on recognizing women veterans. So we're really excited about that. A uh, our next summit after that, we've set a date, December eleventh, and this is going to be our first summit hosted by the National Guard. Mm. So we're looking forward to having a great event. Uh, we're having an event later, Vet Talks, which is a, a, a in sponsorship with the VA, and it's a, a version of TED Talks. So lots of great stuff. If you want to check us out, vetlanta.org, and sign up for the uh, our newsletter, and our, our newsletter that our own Mr. Scott helped a, uh, create. <laughs> well, we, we can't do enough. We really can't. The challenge is too great. Uh, we we had two uh, outstanding testimonies here today, and there's thousands and thousands more folks just like uh, Dan and Stephen. And, and really, I can't I can't tell you all both how much I appreciate what you've done, and I appreciate what we all appreciate the folks out there deployed right this second mm-hmm. in in situations that are in in, in yeah and in situations that you both described. And you know, for all the things we take for granted, I, I hope. If if our listeners take one thing away, it is hey we we got to be grateful, and not only do we have to be grateful, being grateful is not enough. We got to do something about it and help. So um, on a much high, much much lighter note, uh, thanks for both of y'all taking time out, and uh, we look forward to learning more. Look forward to the concert. Look forward to checking out uh, PTSD Foundation of America, the Atlanta chapter, and of course looking forward to the summit tonight. And and big kudos to companies like the Coca Cola Company who are also writing checks and getting beyond lip service and taking care of our community. What do we call that? Action? Mm. Not deeds. Deeds, yeah. deeds, deeds, not words. Deeds, not words. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I can't believe I about. forgot it. Yeah. Deeds, not words. That's okay. Uh, hey, we all- uh, just, I'd like to thank all four of you folks for uh, keeping us civilians safe mm. and, and relatively happy and, um, you know, for the service that you've provided this country and the world and that you continue, all of you, each of you continue to provide, I mean, you're all real beacons. Mm. So uh, I just want to thank you mm-hmm. on behalf of the civilian community. Absolutely. Thanks. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so before we sign off, uh, Greg, we're going to tackle some of the events. We always invite our audience to come check us out in person. Uh, we've got a new show. Uh, actually, one rolled off the calendar and one rolled back on. Wow. So uh, our next event, we're going to be covering the Georgia Manufacturing Summit on October 9th. That's right. About 1,000 folks coming out to Cobb Galleria for a full day of keynotes and panel sessions and networking. And uh, Jason Moss, CEO of the GMA. Lloyd, I don't know if I've even told you this. I will be there. Okay. Look, uh, Lloyd will be there. Opening up again the country country and western music. <laughs> no. <Yes. laughs> You're going to have stop. a band before no, we... No, <laughs> don't. So listen up. So Jason has freed up 50 free seats for veterans. Oh, wow. And, you know, I needed to have that code. Uh, uh, not sure where that stands, but he, he is giving away 50, 50 free seats for veterans to come out and network. I bet if we talk nice to him, he might give away a few more. Few Maybe so. Too. But if you're, if you're a veteran interested in the free seat offer, shoot us a note to connect 
at supplychainradio.com. We'll get you more information, assuming they're still available and haven't sold out yet or, or, or been given away yet. But what a powerful opportunity for folks to come out and plug in with a wide variety of manufacturing leaders. That is October 9th, and you can learn more about the event itself at GeorgiaManufacturingAlliance.com. So the new event, October 23rd. Right, Ooh, Tech Talk. Okay. We're I, going back to Charleston. I thought I was going to give you a pop quiz. Oh, <laughs> man. But no, no, see, I, I answer the questions before they're asked. That way I can't be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to yeah. be broadcasting live from the South Carolina Logistics Tech Talk event uh, in partnership with the South Carolina Council on Competitiveness. Uh, and you can learn more by either going to our events tab at supplychainradio.com or you can check out sccompetes.org. And information there is on the uh, their events tab as well. And then Austin, Texas. Tell us about what's going on there, Greg. Yeah, so uh, November 7th and 8th, that's the EFT Global CI, uh, Logistics CIO Summit. And that's going to be about 300 uh, logistics decision makers and solution providers getting together and just kind of sharing ideas. Uh, it's going to be a great sharing of ideas. We had a similar event not so long ago here in Atlanta. Um, and EFT does these events literally all over the world, mm. bringing people together to help um, you know find solutions to the various industry issues. Supply so. chain tech, logistics tech, freight tech. It's all about that very hot space. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there'll be a lot of talk with uh, related to cybersecurity and and prevent and protecting your supply chains. Yeah. These days, uh, the calendar flips. We're working on a couple of things for 2019, but 2020 is right around the corner. We're going to be in Vegas with the Reverse Logistics Association. Excited about that. And then Modex in March, coming back here to Atlanta, the largest supply chain trade show in North America. 35,000 35. people. It, it is Thousand crazy people. big. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Little, little, they build little model warehouses and factories <laughs> yeah. in this thing. Inside the warehouse. Awesome. Right? It's crazy. It is right? awesome. Yeah. So. And it's free to attend. Yeah. yeah. Outstanding it's like, networking. Wow. It's like life-size Tonka toys, man. It's <laughs> great. It's a great show. It is. Modexshow.com for more information. Also, Modex is going to be hosting our 2020 Atlanta Supply Chain Awards. And? Uh, looking forward to that. What? Do you want? No, you do it. I, I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to segue you into it. And we have a. a oh, amaz- we, we have an amazing announcement. We do. People, we just. We just. Uh, I'm glad I have not built that into the script yet. We just confirmed it uh, a day or two ago. Our keynote for the 2020 Atlanta Supply Chain Awards is going to be Kristen Fisher, the uh, president and CEO of Georgia Pacific. Wow. Which was a, a big get. Wow. Uh, we're excited he's about that. He's going to be handing out bounty <laughs> <laughs> while he speaks. Well, wh- wh- whatever he would like Brawny, to do. Not yeah. Brawny, not bounty. <laughs> Brawny. Brawny. <laughs> We'll have to double check that <laughs> yeah. post production. Uh, yeah, Malcolm, <laughs> save me. So, uh, but but come check us out. We we love the live broadcast out in the field. We had a great time at the AIAG SCAC uh, Supply Chain and Quality Conference in Charleston a couple weeks ago. Uh, we are now pup- rolling out those shows, all probably fifteen of them, as we speak. And um, big thanks to our guests here today on Supply Chain Radio on the Vetlanta Voice Podcast Series, Dan Soya. U.S. Army Veteran Managing Director of the PTSD Foundation of America Atlanta Chapter, and uh, Stephen Smitley, U.S. Marine Corps Veteran, lead singer for Disciples of Danger. Stephen, we didn't ask, do you have a website for your band? Yes, we do. Uh, Disciplesofdanger.com. Okay, easy enough. I love that. That was smart. And (laughs) Stephen is also a (laughs) content creator at uh, uh, Twitch, right? Yes. Fantastic. Thank you all. For sure. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, I, and going back to your quote, you can only keep something by giving it away. Yes, I mean, that, that's going to be 
I might owe you some some commission dollars. <laughs> I like that's going to be a go to. <laughs> but really appreciate y'all embody why we're doing this here today, and 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 what we should be doing, and and what we need to be doing. So really appreciate y'all taking time out of y'all's busy schedule to share. Lloyd, great show. Yep. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for your uh, your your. Uh, being the ring, ma- the incredible ringmaster that you are. I mean, you're you're a tireless advocate for the community, and really looking forward to hear some of the feedback from tonight's uh, summit. Yeah, me too. Thanks. All right, Greg. Thanks for joining us and once again. This has been a, a always my pleasure. Powerful. These are particularly good to be a part of. Yeah. All right. It's Amen. Anchoring. Yep. Okay, so to our audience, that concludes today's episode. Be sure to check out other upcoming events, replays of our interviews, other resources at supplychainnowradio.com. Be sure to check us out on YouTube where we're continuing to figure out our, our the video component <laughs> That's of right. what we're doing. That's right. Um, and, and who knows? We're going to sit down with Stephen afterwards maybe and figure out a whole Man, new uh, – Maybe what? they can see Maybe they can see us in focus, <laughs> which might not be a good thing. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, uh, find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify all the leading sites including youtube where uh you get your podcast from be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything on behalf of the entire supply radio team this is scott luton wishing you a wonderful week ahead and we will see you next time on supply radio thanks everybody